Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. And boy, are you in for a treat today. We're <laughs> uh, in, in a, a new, new-ish new series. We began last week beginning to take a look at uh, what Christians call, what churchy folks uh, call the Lord's Prayer. Um, remind us, just to get us up to speed, Erica, what, what are we talking about when we, when, when we use the word the Lord's Prayer? So the Lord's Prayer can be found in two of the four Gospels, in, in Matthew and Mark, and it comes out of Jesus' instructions uh, in Luke. He's asked about by his disciples, you know, how teach us how to pray. You know, you're, you're our teacher, you're our rabbi, teach us how to pray. And in Mark or in Matthew, he's just kind of talking about prayer and the do's and don'ts of prayer, and and so he come he gives them this pattern of prayer, mm-hmm. um, and it's something that you know most Christians and, and services across the world, and no matter what the denomination, use some f- form of this prayer yeah. on a, on a weekly basis. Uh, it's something that unites all of us, which is one of the few things that actually unites yeah. all yeah. Christians around the world. And we had said last time, we got as far as the opening first two words, mm-hmm. that we were <clears throat> brave and bold. Um, we got as far as the opening words, our Father, um, and we talked last time about uh, the importance of the plural there, that notion mm-hmm. that not only um, is the, are these words that Christians have in common, but that uh, to pray in Jesus' pattern in the right spirit includes praying not just for my own needs, but for the needs of others, mm-hmm. whether I know their names or faces or stories or not, which includes uh, people all around the world and includes, we're beginning to delve into the idea that it includes other disciples of Jesus. There's a sense in which you could say this is the, the prayer for the, the Christian community, mm-hmm. but there's also a sense, given the setting of the wider um, uh, Sermon on the Mount out of which this comes, there's a sense in which uh, this prayer can't be divorced from Jesus' insistence that we be people who pray for our enemies, and mm-hmm. that this means we would be including praying for all people, whether they're Christian or not. That there's there's some there's nothing in this prayer that is um, not appropriate to ask for on behalf of all people. I mean, mm-hmm. There's a sense in which yeah, we want God's reign and rule in all places. We want, Christians are pro being fed. <laughs> yeah. People are Christians are pro mercy <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and for God's reign and deliverance from evil and from sin. These are things we would will for or, or Jesus intends for us to ask for all people. That That's an important notion. Mm-hmm. The other thing we began to explore last time is that it's an intentional choice to call on God as Abba or Father or Papa, something like that. Um, and one thing we, we didn't say as, as explicitly last time, although we sort of talked about that it's not just about Y chromosomes, that God is not mm-hmm. a bearded fellow in the sky, all apologies to Michelangelo. Um, but that it is a choice and that uh, even if there are... Um, forerunners or foreshadowing of that kind of language of God being like the Father for Israel in the Old Testament. It's a conscious choice on Jesus' part, and there are other ways that God might be addressed or might have been addressed. And that when Jesus makes the choice to say, uh, view God in this sort of parental kind of a role, it feels different. There's something intentionally different Mm -hmm. that that comes out of that than if, say, Jesus would have said, you know, uh, invoke the unknowable force. Uh, You know, like... for, for people who are Star Wars fans, you know, like, there's always this uh, awareness of the Force out there, and the mm-hmm. most they can ever say is in the third person, may the, the force, force be with you. with you, but nobody ever prays to the Force. Nobody ever says, oh, Force, would you please guide me? That doesn't mm-hmm. happen, um, in part because in the Star Wars mythology, the Force
course, is impersonal, unknowable, uh-huh. um, and isn't relatable exactly. You could wish that the Force would be on your side, but there's not this, I can't talk to the Force exactly. Yeah. Um, and there's an important distinction there, that Jesus puts us in the mindset of saying, there is a someone, not just a something. Um, and that's an important notion. It means that for all of this, for all of our conversation um, from a, from a uh, Christian and certainly from a, a Jewish and Hebrew perspective too, there's this notion that not just that uh, impersonal principles or forces made the universe, but that there's a someone, so that it's possible to talk about being loved by this God. Rules and forces cannot love you. They can't care mm-hmm. about your needs. Uh, and so if the universe happens to provide uh, something you can eat, it's a random fluke. But if, if there's a personal God uh, who says, I made the universe in such a way that there's enough for everyone to be fed, there's love behind that. That's an important distinction, right? Yeah, and it's not just that, that God is personal, because there's a lot of other descriptors that we could use. Right. Um, that or that Jesus could have used even to you know our king, our ruler, our big boss guy in the sky, um, but you know it's it's more personal in the sense that again to go back to last week's episode that unconditional love, um, not necessarily unconditional love of, of a male father figure. You know, as, as you've said, Steve, it's not the Y versus X chromosome argument or anything. God is spirit. God has no gender. Right. But the fact that there's this personal being that unconditionally loves us to the point that will provide for all of our needs. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's an important notion. And is is different than if, if Jesus had said, had even pictured a personal but different kind of relational mm-hmm. being. You know, uh, you know all, almighty boss in the sky suggests a relationship, but it's not the parent-to-child relationship. It's the, you got to do your, you know, pull, pull your weight or else you'll be fired. Kind yeah. Of. Uh, or even, you know, royal or king or emperor kind of language, which, again, shows up in a, in a form later in the prayer and is certainly a part of uh, Israel's tradition talking about mm-hmm. God as oh, you know, king of the universe, suggests a different relationship. You know, mm-hmm. to be a subject to a king may or may not involve the king knowing about you at all. You know, yeah. um, there's, uh, there's, uh, I, I don't expect any of my elected officials, honestly, to know my name or my needs or care about mm-hmm. me. Maybe that's a sad thing to say, but, uh, but it just, it's, it's the true, nature yeah. of what it is to live in a, in a country of 300 million people. Uh, and and I, I, I don't even expect the mayor of my town to know my name or my story. Mm-hmm. It's a cool thing when our local state representatives catch your picture on the paper and send you a handwritten. I mean, that that's a cool but yeah. rare thing. Um but Jesus suggests something more than you're just the official in a bureaucracy I have mm-hmm. to appeal to, but there's, there's something of personal connection. And maybe that's another piece of it, too. That if, if Jesus just starts with one more prayer of God, you're king of the universe, I as a subject maybe am expected to have a certain loyalty to the king because that's what the rules are, but there's not necessarily the assumption that a king has any... Uh, particularly good interest for the subjects in mind. At least through most of human history, kings have not terribly been interested in the welfare of their subject, or at least just enough to prevent a riot or a revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's this sense in Jesus' prayer, in Jesus' mindset, that while it is right and good and salutary to call God as king or ruler of the universe, that that lacks a sense of God has an investment in us or God has a mm-hmm. care in, uh, for us as much or more than uh, we care or have devotion or love back to him. In fact, almost the tables are turned. You know, my, my kids love me, but they are not 
honestly interested in my well-being nearly as much as I'm looking out for their well-being. They, they just they don't have a clue about all the things it would take to manage my well-being and mm-hmm. my, my uh, welfare. So they're not thinking, boy, I hope daddy gets enough socks, whereas I'm constantly thinking, do we have enough clean socks? Do we have, you know, uh, and do we have enough fridge cereal? At no point are my kids thinking, is there enough breakfast cereal for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, there's something cool about the way Jesus arranges things that the God is the one who bears more of the worry, the concern, the love mm-hmm. uh, than we uh, than we carry or, or, or bear, and that that's implicit in the metaphor uh, that Jesus uses from the outset. So, okay, were you going to say more about God as Father? We no, I think I think we're ready to sufficiently beaten that horse. Um, <laughs> we spent uh, over an episode working on that horse. Move us into the next in the next words of the prayer. So, the next words of the prayer: Who art in heaven? Um, so our father who art in heaven often, you know, we kind of say that as one big line. Um, but what does it, you know, Steve, help, help us unpack what it means uh, to say that God is in heaven. Yeah. 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 I think we've, we've touched on this before because, you know, God, yeah, we get this idea that God is in heaven, but yet where is heaven? What is heaven? And, you know. What does this all mean? What does this look like? Yeah, yeah. And and maybe even we should even unpack the archaic Elizabethan language too. Even though handfuls of moments in our liturgical life have preserved 16th century, 17th century <laughs> English, most people don't go around saying, how art thou, except for weird pastors that I know who are me. Um, <laughs> so uh, when we say who art in heaven... I mean, there's seriously a time in my life when I was confused about art because I assumed it was talking about painting and drawing and, you know, building with clay. No, it's not art in that So who makes art in heaven? Yeah, yeah. Or uh, that somehow God's name is art short for Arthur or something like that. Um, Again, it may seem basic, but okay, uh, we're saying our Father, you know, the one who's in heaven. Mm -hmm. The the Greek of it um, doesn't have any of that floweriness. Uh, It's just, in the original uh, uh, Gospels, it'll be... You could roughly translate it as, our Father, comma, you know, the one that's in heaven. Um, and this is just a way of distinguishing that we're not talking about any one of our human fathers or something like that. This isn't a petition for a favor from Dad. This is, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're appealing to, we're talking to the creator of the universe, the one that the people of Israel, you know, call on as Yahweh, uh, you know, the, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and maybe even we should say at the outset, because our temptation sometimes in church life is to think that flowery Elizabethan language is somehow holier. That, um, and even though in... Because Jesus spoke it. Well, right. This is a moment for a, a time of outcome. Before we even get to the, the heaven business, I, I do want to say, we sometimes have this assumption that Jesus went around talking in these and thys and those. And one, because we make the mistake of sometimes forgetting Jesus didn't speak English, uh, and that the Bible is not originally written in, in English. But on top of that, that the Greek of Jesus' day, the Greek that the New Testament is written in, is the common slangy version of Greek mm-hmm. that was around. And that Jesus didn't even speak Greek. Jesus spoke Aramaic, which is sort of a, a not formal, high, ancient, archaic Hebrew, but was this sort of hodgepodge pidgin language uh, that had elements of uh, Old Hebrew and had influences of other languages mm-hmm. around, too. So, um, there is no no reason to believe that Jesus in his prayer life, or anybody in the New Testament in their prayer life, 
chose stilted formal uh, language for their prayers, uh, you might be able to say there are voices and strains in the Old Testament that skew a little more formal sounding, um, and that you know prayers that begin, blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, have a different feel than, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But even there, Old Testament has both strains, mm-hmm. but there is no sense in which the, the Lord's Prayer is, is intended to have that formality to it. So even though there may be good, fine reasons, because we memorize it with who art in heaven and these and thys and thou's and thine, um, it's important to say that's not what makes the prayer matter. Um, and Jesus, in fact, in the original setting of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel in the Sermon on the Mount, makes a point of saying, don't make a fuss about using fancy flowery language. God doesn't care about that. Um, there's an old line I've heard attributed to Martin Luther, but it may have been said by a bunch of other people before. The, the gist is, the, sh- the fewer the words, the better the prayer. Uh, which means the more we can cut to the chase here, rather than trying to impress God. There's something to that. And so, even to say... The idea in the opening line is, Our Father, you know, the Heavenly One, uh, the One who's in Heaven, rather than who art, as though that's, that's the way you have to approach mm-hmm. God. I've known people over the years, people who, whose faith uh, was deep and devout, and people who, who I cared for a great deal, who when they slipped into prayer mode, almost felt like they had become Shakespearean actors, because there'd be a lot of these and thighs, their tone of voice oh, yes. would change, and it would be the sort of mm-hmm. stuff oh, Lord, now <laughs> we ask thy Not blessing. Nothing. And like, mm-hmm. okay, I, I get, I get the, the sense of, this isn't to be done glibly, but at the same time, what are we communicating when we suggest you can't bring God regular language, that God doesn't speak slang, God doesn't speak your regular, mm-hmm. you know, uh, know the means of your regular heart, you have to approach God with, with Elizabethan language. That, that suggests a God who is stuck in the 1600s, <laughs> as, as opposed to the God who says, uh, I am who I am, I will be who I will be, who is in the present moment. So all that said, what does it mean to say that this is the God you know in heaven, the Father you know in heaven, I guess part is to distinguish that we aren't just talking about you know, my, my biological father, anybody's biological mm-hmm. father or adoptive father, um, if we're talking about God, but maybe also to locate that um, heaven isn't just a geographical point that you can travel a certain number of miles to get to. And that's an important realization, because I mean, it's, we often talk in spatial terms, you know, heaven is up. If I go up a certain direction, I'd get to this place called heaven. Every so often in the tabloid news, you'll see at the grocery store, you know, with the old weekly world news, when they're not running the stories about Batboy found somewhere, it'll be, you know, location of heaven found, and they'll have some, you know, hazy black and white picture of the night sky where they compose a little bit of the Emerald City from Wizard of Oz in the distance, as though someone has spotted it behind some galaxy somewhere. No, no, a thousand times no. And to be truthful, too. I have seen uh, in the age of the internet, I've seen memes, uh, Facebook memes mm-hmm. uh, that people will share that purport to be uh, astronomical photographs where there's this blurry image and look, this is where heaven is. They spotted it. Um, and I've seen it even debunked. No, this is an actual image that a telescope, like a digital telescope took. It got smeared because of this computer you know, artifact or something like that. This is not the celestial city or something like that. But oh we have gosh. to say that because mm-hmm. People who go through the line of the tablet will see voices that say, ah, heaven is this spot. If you would travel so many miles, you need to get a rocket ship and you will get there. And truth in advertising, I've heard a handful, maybe not many respectable ones, but I've heard a handful of radio and TV preachers who take that tack as mm-hmm. well. That heaven is in the far north, and if you'll travel far enough to the distant star, it's there, second, you know, almost never land like, you know, second star of the right straight on until morning. And when I hear that, it makes me think, no wonder the listening world around us <laughs> thinks that all we have to say is a bunch of nonsense. Because no, that's not, that's, not what, that's not what ancient people thought they were talking about when they talked about heaven. 
Steve, I wish we were on video some days because if you could see my iron yeah, roll for the last. The sound of the iron <laughs> roll doesn't carry over. Well. It does not carry over the sound waves. But I think you know to say you know, our Father in Heaven, you know the, the guy who's yeah, Heaven is not a place that we can travel to. Not at least not in this yeah. life. But the idea that God is outside of time and space. Yeah. And yet inside, you know, and that gets all kinds of weird too, and we'll get to that with his kingdom being here on earth as it is in heaven. But I think this idea of God, um, or heavenly God, you know, the the God who's out there, puts a a distance to it, Mm. not in a bad way, but just to say that that God is other and that that God is holy. Yeah. And again, we're going to come back to this in the next phrase. Yeah. But um, that's kind of where, where my mind goes. Yeah. It's just... There's a, there's a tension that all the scriptures hold when, when the scriptures talk about God as both transcendent, mm-hmm. beyond us, or to mm-hmm. use Carl Barth's language, holy other, and at the same time, that God is imminent, close, and relatable. Mm-hmm. And if the word father suggests a closeness, which it does, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the notion of the, you know, the father who's in heaven isn't meant to be a geography or a spatial reference, but to say there's one who is yet at the same time beyond us. And, and again, that's not meant to make us feel like a distance, like you say, of, oh man, I can't really relate to this God. But it's also to say that, that uh, what is possible for God is beyond the realm of what's possible for other people, I might ask. And if I ask my dad mm-hmm. a favor, being a good, uh, good-natured fellow, he will do whatever is in his power, but there's a lot of stuff he can't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so would you pick me up from the airport? Yeah, he's willing to do that. But would you travel back in time? Nope, that's beyond my dad's power. Um, and when we call on God uh, as Father, there is this awareness of we are appealing to someone who is not just present in this room, but sort of gets back that, who is present and fills all of creation. Mm-hmm. And so can be hearing and communing with not just me, but the person down the road and the person halfway around the world, um, and who cares about every quark and photon of all this cosmos, and yet is far vaster than that as well. That puts it in perspective again. Not to say my needs don't matter, but to say mm-hmm. my needs matter along with the needs of everybody else around. That's exactly what I was thinking, that connection back to the, the R talk that we had in, the, yeah. in last week's episode about, you know, God is not just my God or, or just your God, mm-hmm. Steve, or... Or just the God of the two of us together, yeah. but the God of, of of all of humanity, all around the world, yeah. uh, all who call on His name, He's He's their Father, and that's again because He's in heaven, because He is outside of the physical realm, yeah. and yet part of the physical realm as well. Um, you know, He can be that presence yeah. uh, everywhere. Yeah, it, it, in in some ways, it feels like it's helpful for me to say. To, to go back to a moment, if we can imagine, a moment before creation, which is a weird thing to say since creation involves the construction of time. But to imagine that before the, the creation of the universe, Christian theology would have it, that God is there from before mm-hmm. the beginning, if there's a way to talk about before the beginning. And that God fills all that is, because all, all that is prior to creation is God and God's being of Father, Son, and Spirit, this sort of interpenetration, perichoresis. And that what God does in creation is to create space, so to speak, for something that is not God, and yet that not God thing isn't in another realm, but sort of is, somehow has to exist within whatever God has, so that there's no place that, that isn't accessible to God. Mm-hmm. It's not like God says, well, far, far away I've made a universe, uh, and it's in another something, but that God surrounds and fills so that God can penetrate through into the world that you and I know, the universe in which you mm-hmm. and I live, 
uh, and also exist and live beyond that. And to name that is important, that we aren't just praying to the universe, but we're convinced that there's someone beyond the universe in which we mm-hmm. live and see and breathe. So maybe in a rough sense, maybe this is a very, very rough analogy, so forgive me if this delves into heresy, stop me. Um, but I rightly think of the house in which I live as my house, or my and my wife's. And this is our house, we really want to pay the bills. And yet, there's a room that is my son's room. And mm-hmm. it is right for him to call that his room, that's his space. And yet, in a sense, that only exists within the larger realm that is mine, mm-hmm. uh, or that is ours. Um, and that exists because we have graciously said, you get to have a room. I don't need to make myself and get all puffed up. Basically, that's how families yeah. work. The okay. parents create, this is your space, you're allowed to be in there. And yet, there are also guidelines and stewardship about you're not supposed to punch holes in that wall. You're not supposed to throw, leave your, your clothes on the floor. You do sometimes. And I allow that. Uh, and to some degree, I enforce rules about when things have to be picked up or cleaned up or something. But this is still a space that exists within uh, what is mine and is present to me. That um, uh, there, there's a certain amount of this is your space, but it's also this exists within my house. I'm responsible in a sense for the upkeep and payment for even my son's room. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there's a sense in which... Uh, I have not only the right, but also the responsibility to, from time to time, check on how things are going in the rooms. Or anything that's broken and we need to replace light bulbs. That's all a part of this larger space that is ours. And in a sense, to talk about God's space as heaven isn't to say it's distinct as though there's God's sacred stuff over there and secular stuff mm-hmm. over there, but that uh, this world in which we live, this universe in which we live, in a sense occupies a, a position within what is God's larger space mm-hmm. of all that God reigns over. And then I think, Steve, um, looking ahead to the end of Revelation, mm-hmm. when there is a new heaven and a new earth, and, and God is amongst his people, and so there's no need for, for the sun and the moon anymore because yeah. of, of the light that will be God. Um, you know, that's not a reality right now, obviously. We wouldn't be having this podcast if it were. Right. Um, but to know that while God encompasses everything that is the universe... Um, without being the universe himself, yeah. uh, being distinct from that, we we get to look forward someday as, as Christians to that day where God will become um, visibly the yeah. center of the yeah. universe. And that notion is really important that when we get to the end of Revelation, the images of uh, heaven and, and earth interlocking as though they are made for one another. And that's mm-hmm. exactly the way the scriptures talk about it. Mm-hmm. This is another important point for us too because... Uh, and this is going to be heavily indebted to the, the thinking of N.T. Wright that sticks in the back of my head. But we tend to have this sort of escapist, heaven good, earth bad, and that's not the way even the book of Revelation is. No. There's a sense of new creation of heaven and earth where these things that are made for one another are joined together in this sort of permanent way where God's presence is clear and seen and felt in a way that maybe isn't right now. Mm-hmm. The way that maybe like when my son's room is a wreck and there's clothes thrown all over and Lego pieces and things like that. It sure doesn't look like that's how I run things. <laughs> At least I play. But there will come a day when things are all mm-hmm. put right and interlock permanently. And you even get that image at the end of Revelation of the heavenly city where the, there are these gates and these doors, but they're permanently open because it says they're, uh, the, the gates are always open by day and there is no night. Which is to say that the the flow between, you could say, mm-hmm. is permanent. There's no point at which those doors are shut again. Maybe even echoing like when the temple curtain is torn in, in, uh, mm-hmm. in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. So the, the, whatever the boundary is, and maybe we live in this life where it feels like there is this boundary, this, this, this barrier between humanity and the divine, um, and that there, the promise is of free flow and that there's not a boundary separating us one from the other any longer, and that that 
finally becomes realized at last in that vision at the end of Revelation. But all that is kind of in mind uh, when you talk about God being, you know, the Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. That here's this one who is beyond the, the physical world, beyond the universe. It reminds me, there's this old, I don't know if it's right to call it a story or a quote, I think it's of Stephen Crane's. Um, and the gist goes something like this. Um, it's a conversation between the guy and the universe. And the guy says, I exist, says the human being. And the universe says back, uh, that does not create in me a sense of obligation. I mean, like, that's the, and, and Stephen Crane has this sort of picture of, like, the universe doesn't care about it, frankly. The, the universe mm-hmm. is this impersonal, you know, system of, of cosmological forces. It doesn't care whether you live or die. So to say, I exist, the universe doesn't feel any obligation whether we live or die. Uh, it, it sends random asteroids hurling toward Earth to kill dinosaurs just as frequently as it, you know, creates a world where there's life in the first place. Um, but, um... That's not the way Jesus intends us to envision a relationship with God. And part of the reason we can say that is we aren't praying to the universe, even mm-hmm. though that's sort of a fashionable way people talk these days about, well, maybe the universe is sending me a lucky sign. The universe doesn't care. I'm sorry. The universe just does not care. It doesn't give a lick because it is incapable of giving a yeah. lick. <laughs> um, but uh, that we are invited into relationship with one who is yet bigger and beyond the universe and yet remains personal. I mean, however we talk about that, because I mean that, that that's hard for us to grasp, because we only know personality through mm-hmm. locatable bodies. And I, I know Erica's personality because Erica is in one place at a time, and now we're talking about a someone, an I, who is yet beyond all, and can be present to all space and all time. But something like that is what we're talking about. So, okay, as we start these words that Jesus gives mm-hmm. us, our Father in heaven, that's all what sets the tone for this. There's, uh-huh. there's this uh, transcendence, there's this imminence, and there's this sense in which we are connected to all the rest of God's creation. And that God um, rightly rules over all of creation. Um, and yet maybe we can even say there's a beginning of a distinction when, when Jesus talks about heaven uh, as opposed to earth. That's usually the way the Hebrew Bible talks about it. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth as though that's sort of the way of saying, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we might also begin to say heaven, a way of talking about heaven is uh, heaven is where God gets what God wants, uh, as opposed to earth where all sorts of stuff happens that is not what God intends or wills. Um, so that later on, when we get to saying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that assumes there is this realm, there is some, some way or place, if you want to think about it geographically, where God's will is not questioned, where God gets what God wants done. Where God says sunrise and there's sunrise, or you know, God says justice and there's justice. Mm-hmm. And that we live in this bubble, almost, uh, in which our rebellion that we call sin makes it possible, and God bears with, for a time, our persistent poking God in the eye and refusing. I mean, it may be, in a way, analogous, but help me out here if this feels like it needs some tweaking. In a way, maybe analogous to uh, when my son or my daughter, because both of them do this, you know, stomp up to their room angrily, say, I don't want to talk to you right now, and uh, in a fit of anger, you know, uh, knock Legos on the floor or leave clothes strewn on the floor. That is not my will. It's not my will for them to run away angry at me. It's not my will for there to be Legos on the floor. It's not my will for clothes to be strewn all over the floor, clean or dirty. Uh, And yet, I abide with it, not not permanently, not a, well, this will always be like this. But there are times in which I permit that, mm-hmm. um, and yet it's fair to say that's not my will, and that my wish for what would a lovely, happy home life be would be a realm in which, a household in which nobody's rooms are strewn with dirty clothes or Legos, <laughs> and where nobody's stomping off angry with arms crossed or pouting on their bed. 
Uh, it is my will for all things to be sort of put in their rightful. In a sense, that tension is being set up right now, even when we talk about God who is in heaven. Mm-hmm. Not to say God isn't present to us in the realm in which we live on earth, but that God the one who exists beyond. And I think that's that's a real difficulty for us to understand because, like you said, you know, we're so used to dealing with people. You know, we're, we're sitting here having a conversation. I can look and, and you're there. Yeah, like you are Steve. You're, um, you know, where where God when we when we think of heaven, you know, often we put him at that far distance, that very far away, and yet, you know, he is very personable, and he, and just as much as he's in heaven, which is otherworldly outside of the universe he is here too and so it's just an odd thing um for us to try to wrap our little finite minds around this idea that god can be there and here all at the same time because all we know is people who can yeah you know i'm sitting here on a couch right now which means i'm not sitting on a couch at my house right yeah and by definition your presence in one location means you cannot be in another place Mm -hmm. um in a way, like I'm, I'm, I'm stretching for, reaching for some kind of analogy to wrap my brain around this. And, and maybe the best that comes to mind is um, if I would pose the question, uh, where is the atmosphere or where is the air right now? <laughs> and in a sense, it's, it, we're, we exist in this ocean of air that's around us all the time. And yet every, ta- every time I take a breath, some of that air, some of that atmosphere enters me and is in me. It doesn't mm-hmm. stop being air. It's there and it penetrates so it is present to every cell in my body. And that also means, as that oxygen gets circulated throughout my whole body, some of what was just outside, floating around outside in the air, now has become a part of me and is inside me. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, becomes me. I mean, there's a sense in which I, you can't separate all that oxygen out. It becomes the molecules that make up you know, the, the, the cells in my body. Um, and in, in some abstract sense, maybe that's sort of the picture I have when we talk about God and God's realm or heaven. That, uh, it, there's this sense in which heaven is present to or surrounds mm-hmm. and is around all of this physical life in which we live and move and have our being. Um, and yet, uh, it also penetrates into the world in which we live. In, in a way, too, maybe. I don't want to get too abstract into science that is beyond my pay grade. But... Um, I've read enough of uh, uh, theoretical physicists who say that the the universe, as they study the standard model, they say, you know, we live in a world that has three physical dimensions, and if you count time, maybe four that we can perceive, but their math works out better if the universe has 10 or 11 dimensions, and we just can't perceive most of them. There's a piece of me that's like, okay, I can get some idea that there could be more structure to the universe than I can perceive, Mm -hmm. that's there all the time, that I don't understand or, or but is necessary for this part of the world that mm-hmm. I do interact with and at least in some sense I can get okay maybe something like that is what we're talking about that there's a world that in that that runs through this world that we live in it is there all the time but in most of the time we're in many ways imperceptible but is necessary for us to understand the world that we live in this the fact that you read um, <laughs> physicists Steve I mean I watch Big Bang Theory but the fact that you read them just blows my mind because I have heard that through that show, and it just, <laughs> it still doesn't make much sense to me. But I, but I get what you're saying is, you know, there, there are things about in our universe, and there, there are ways of, of, of understanding God that we're never going to get this side of eternity. Yeah, yeah. And that maybe at best, 
uh, if the analogy is to things like the you know Higgs boson or things like that, mm-hmm. that there are things that maybe we could say the world only makes sense if there's this other additional structure to it, but we can't perceive it or we'll only catch the traces of it or things like that. Um, and that I mean, that's the way like the, the scientists at the Large Hadron Collider talk about finding the Higgs boson. Yeah, mm-hmm. we didn't actually see it, but we saw the, the the trail marks that it left when it decayed into other particles for some brief you know fraction of a second, but. The, the math works out that there has to be this whole other field of Higgs bosons out there that give things mass. And, oh, I can understand what mass is. I understand that the, the stuff that makes me has mass. Mm-hmm. And, oh, now I understand how or why or whatever. But there's this stuff I can't see. That maybe in some way to think about even the way the Bible itself talks about heaven and earth is more, is more like that. More that there is mm-hmm. this all-encompassing reality and we exist as this sort of bubble or, or reality within that that exists within the wider life of God. Not like New York City's one place and L.A. is over there and these are discrete, separate places, but that mm-hmm. we exist, uh, our life exists somehow within the bigger life of God. Almost like there's this, there's this great line in Ecclesiastes, in, um, uh, and I, I have yet to find a good English translation that gets at the whole of what's going on there. Because often translation, it comes after the two, everything there is a season passion. Mm-hmm. And at the end it says, uh, he's... God has put a sense of past and future into the heart of all people. Or sometimes the translation will say, God has put eternity into our hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Hebrew there is a ha'olam, which is a wonderfully untranslatable notion in Hebrew. Because it's like the universe, and sometimes in the Hebrew prayer, blessed are you, O Lord of God, king of the universe. It's melech ha'olam, king of the universe. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's universe, but it's space and it's time. I, my Hebrew teacher in seminary used to say, Here's proof that Einstein was right. The Hebrew Bible was saying space and time were connected in this ha'olam all, all, all along. But the Hebrew scriptures talk about this eternity being placed in our hearts. I mean, this vast I mean, eternity suggests infinite, impossible, you know, infinitely big, and yet somehow it is there present within each human heart that, that we are made for the capacity of containing or holding or, or uh, having eternity in our hearts, ha'olam in our hearts. Um, and if, if that's right, maybe in a similar way we can think about heaven being that reality that's big, but also that we are made for mm-hmm. interlocking with or this have this capacity for, uh, maybe almost like when Blaise Pascal talks about the God-shaped vacuum each one of us. Here we are, these human beings who are so small and tiny, we can't you know, hold God in, we can't can possibly hope to contain God anymore than you can hold the ocean in your hands. Uh, and yet we are capable of holding a handful of water. There's this God-shaped vacuum inside us that is made for that connection. I think back, you know, we, we talked about the end of Scripture of Revelation and, and heaven and earth coming together again, but then yeah. let's go into the beginning of creation. Right. And when Adam and Eve are, are walking and talking with God, I mean, it's clear that there's this this deep connection right. that they have before, you know, Eve is tempted and gives into the snake and and sins for the first time. But, but even after that, you know, the, the way the conversation goes between Adam and God and, you know, Adam's hiding from God right. and... And God's like, where are you? Not that God doesn't know where Adam is, right, but right. you know, you know, where are you? And he's he's allowing Adam to like, yeah. believe that you know they're. But that connection that was there at the beginning, you know, has that ever actually, you know, the God vacuum has that ever actually left humanity? Right. You know, I I, I don't think it has. I think we tend to fill it with other things. Right. We ignore it. Right. And, and maybe we could say, to, to borrow back that imagery of breathing in the, the air and the atmosphere, I mean, like human beings are made with these lungs that are basically 
empty bags that are meant for air, mm -hmm. and you can put other gases in them, they will kill us. I mean, mm -hmm. You can breathe in carbon monoxide and it will kill you. You can breathe in sulfur, die, and you can breathe something else in, and it will kill you, whether slowly or, or quickly. Um, but yeah, it, 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 you can try and put other stuff in there, but we're not made for that. But we are made for this process of respiration, so that we take in this atmosphere that's around us, that we hold on to some small bit of it, and it penetrates us and becomes within us, and we're made for giving it back as well. And maybe in some sense, that, I mean, that, that, that God's aid vacuum isn't a design flaw, it's a feature. You know, it, this is what mm -hmm. God has made us to be, in, in a way similar to our lungs are made for holding in air, that it then becomes a part of what gives us life, and we breathe it out. And you could try and put other stuff in there, and watch how it slowly kills you. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe that's, that's maybe in a nutshell, all of Christian theologies. God made us to hold, hold and be in connection with God, and most of human history has been us trying to cram other stuff in that space, hoping it will satisfy or fill uh, or give us breath, and it, and it never does. And yet God doesn't give up on us, but God keeps insisting on doing CPR on us. <laughs> Because if a little piece of heaven is in us now, is, does that not help us then get prepared for that day in Revelation that you know sure, the, the book yeah. talks about that when heaven and earth will once again be be one? Yeah, yeah. You know, so then where you just don't, you know, our minds don't completely explode like mine is right now. Well, and, and maybe you <laughs> can say too, like if 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 we think of this notion of heaven being the sort of all encompassing reality, and our lives are sort of uh, within that, penetrated mm -hmm. by that. Um, that also helps us avoid the danger of making heaven just chronologically future, saying, you know, yeah. man, everything's rotten now, but one day, but to say, no, heaven, uh, it's, yeah, that, that God, God, God dwells and resides somewhere now, and that mm -hmm. includes uh, not only the, the world in which we live, but this reality outside called heaven. So that also when we pray, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but when we get to uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's not saying as it one day will be in heaven, but there's this, as currently right now, in, in the realm column, God's will mm -hmm. is done without question. Um, and nobody leaves clothes laying on the floor or punches their brother or sister or hates anybody or anything like that. But also that means that part of the prayer is to ask for God's reign, God's will to happen now here in the mm -hmm. world in which we live. And that prevents us from kind of escapist bad theology of uh, let the world go to hell in a handbasket. Yep. Who cares right now? God's going to replace it with something better anyway. Um, and sadly, too many times in Christian history, we have misunderstood what we were talking about mm -hmm. when we talk about heaven and earth and allowed ourselves into that kind of attitude of, trash this world because it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We're going to get the better world later on. We're going to go to heaven. And no, that's not the way the scriptures talk. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the world in which we live is a part of that larger reality where God reigns. And our prayer is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. that, that means here and now as well, we ache for God's will to be done. Absolutely. But I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, yeah, David. Well, we, we got another part of the prayer that so we need to tell <laughs> But at least you know where we're headed. Yeah. Uh, the, we hope we hope the conversation has been valuable for you. Um, and go read up on Higgs bosons in the meantime. Uh, <laughs> but join us for a conversation next time as we continue walking through the Lord's Prayer. See you guys.